Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So Dr. Rob, the first question, at the recommendation of my CSAT, I'm leaving for a six-week inpatient program next week. Do you have any advice, encouragement for someone going into treatment? What recommendations do you have for returning home afterwards? That's kind of a catch, isn't it? Well, that one's kind of tricky because we run a treatment center, and I actually think we do the best work. Expert treatment. And so it's hard for me to, and you know, I don't Mm. exactly know where you're going, but I have a couple of clues. And so... um, I will not, I will just say this: some of the larger facilities tend to be a bit cookie cutter because if you have different kinds of underlying issues, they're not necessarily going to notice. If you are a certain person at a certain age and a certain set of circumstances and you act out in this way, they're really, really good. It goes through great, but there are some people with different kinds of issues that get missed in larger facilities. I think that's my only, it's more of a frustration than it is a criticism. Um, so anyway, um, what advice for going into treatment? Um, well, I'm going to leave that one to Tammy. I'm going to go to this last one, which is what do you recommend? Because she asks that, you get that asked that all the time, right? What, what should I do before? So um, to me, what you do after is quite simple. Um, you just need to follow the directions you've been given. Um, any decent treatment center uh, is creating an aftercare plan for you that says what you need to do on Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. And there should be organization to how you're going to do your recovery. And it really isn't that hard to stay in recovery. You just have to do what it says. And uh, if it says three meetings a week and it says see your therapist and go to this group and you signed up for all that before you left, you just need to do it. Um, Having that routine and that structure and also, you know, finding accountability is really important. Um, oftentimes the people that folks go through treatment with, they really bond with, they really get close relationships with. I think that's one of the good things about, well, I think that's one of the great things about doing small treatment programs is that guys get really bonded in that way. But in any case, um, finding people in, in your finding people in your life with whom you can recreate that kind of friendship and bonding and support is what you really need to do after. And that happens in your 12-step meetings, in your groups, in the things that are on your aftercare plan. So Tammy, what do you think? I, I'm sad that we didn't get a chance because I, I I know for sure our, oh. our expert treatment is, I mean, we've had guys that have gone to all the other treatment programs and what we do is is different and unique and special. And, you know, we have 14, 21, we and 28 day programs. Them well. yeah, 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 no, we do. So, but I'm always sad when I didn't get a chance to at least have a, you know, have a conversation about that. So, um, but for going off, be willing, be open, listen to what you're, you know, uh, me, with the guys coming into our program, I'm always like the more open and willing you are, the, you know, the, the, don't hold back secrets. Don't pretend like, oh, that doesn't matter, you know, because that, that will be what you relapse on. So um, so hopefully the program, um, uh, you know, is giving you that funding. We have an alumni group that meets every week. Hopefully their program does, you know, it has something similar so that you can continue to connect with, you know, with that. Um, but make sure you, you have a good list of resources for those. Um, you have a CSAT. That's great. So then your CSAT should be in communication with that program. Um, you know, and, and, and so it's, 
it's the continuum of care. So, you know, your CSAT is sending you to that place. They will be in contact as long as you sign a release. Um, they will be in contact and, um, you know, be able to provide you know, your CSAT with what they're recommending specifically for you. You know, uh, like Dr. Rob said, you know, with our program, we're looking at all the underlying issues. So hopefully um, you'll get support and help for that. And keep coming back to sexandrelationshiphealing.com. It's all free. It's the ongoing support. We have, you know, fantastic resources, all moderated drop-in groups um, for your safety and healing. So continue to connect with those resources. You know, I just wanted to comment on one word you used, Tammy, which is the word honesty, because I think one of the, having run treatment centers for 20 something years and created a bunch of them, I think the greatest thing that I see lost by our clients is when they come to treatment, they say, well, that's something I'm just not going to tell anyone. And whether it ever gets them in trouble later in life or not, you see folks, when you go through treatment, you really want to let go of all those secrets not because you just want them all off your shoulders, but because when someone later in life or the next week comes up and embraces you and tells you how wonderful you are, you don't want to have that secret in your head to say, oh, no, if you knew this, I wouldn't really be wonderful. You wouldn't like me. And so getting that stuff out and being committed to honesty and treatment to me is even if you don't want to, especially if you don't want to, um, I think that's the greatest gift is to go somewhere and get rid of all of what you've done and, and kind of give it away and learn from it and move on. So, yes, and, but move on, but move forward because we, you know, you don't get fixed in treatment. You, that's the beginning phase. And then it's a lifelong journey and people go, I don't want to hear that. I want it to be different. It will be different, but it's an ongoing journey and it's an opportunity for us to continue to grow and learn and change. It's, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. But at Tammy, but Tammy at our program, people do get fixed don't they? No. no. Okay. Let's keep going. Yes. Why does everyone want to blame the victim in these cases? Why do they want to excuse the betrayer? My husband finally told one family member, his mom about his infidelity, not the whole story about sex addiction, but, but at least a step in the right direction. His mom said that she knew that the partner, I had something going on since my mom died in 2008. This felt like she was um, crediting my trauma and grief over my mo mom's death as a factor for why my husband cheated. She said, I hadn't been myself. Honestly, she doesn't even know who I am to begin oh. with. Okay. So what I'm trying to get at with the point, I think I'm getting here is that um, she was having some problems and she got blamed. She got a lot. She had a personal loss and was going through whatever she was going through. And then when her husband stepped out, she got blamed because she was going through trauma and unavailability, whatever it was. And that's the reason that she got harmed. And that's why she says, why am I a victim being blamed? Because that's not what happened. <laughs> So is there a question here, Tammy? Because I'm glad to jump well, in. It's kind of a global generalization of why does everyone blame the victim in these cases and why do they want to excuse the betrayer? So the, the mother of her husband, I'm assuming, you know, is going, oh, it's you, the wife's fault that, you know, because you were acting different. So, you know, and, and who knows? I mean, that's one of those where, if he's really doing his work, he's going to take responsibilities for his actions, him telling it. And, you know, we talk all the time about who do you tell, how do you tell, you know, what's going to be safe. So at some point, you know, his, his mother sounds like, 
I mean, like as a mother, you go, I want my children to be perfect. And so it'd be a lot easier for mom to blame you, the daughter-in-law, rather than look at her son that she raised. So, so just, you know, broken people raise broken people. So it's one of those things where, you know, I like if, if you can do your healing at some point, you'll hopefully, you know, find some ability to go, you know, his mom is, is challenged in her own right. You know, he's a product of all of that. And how do we move forward rather than, you know, the blame game doesn't get anybody anywhere. So, so, you know, mom blaming you, do you care? She doesn't even know you anyway. So it's more, what do you own as you, you know, like what for your healing, not, not that uh, about his sex addiction, what do you want to take forward so that you can heal despite mom, mother-in-law, mother-in-law. So, so. Yeah. I, I, I tend to go toward, um, when I'm in pain, I really try to seek out people who are fully supportive and not critical. And so if my mother-in-law felt like a person who was really safe to go to, and you know, I would probably have this conversation with her, but this is someone who's protecting her own son, which I understand, you know, you see on TV ladies who are like, oh, well, I know my kid didn't ki kill 12 kids at school, even though he came home with the gun, you know, and he was filmed there. No mother wants to say, oh yeah, it's my son who's that terrible kid. I mean, we just don't do that. In fact, that's why a lot of you partners will not really recognize how bad it is with your spouses because we protect the people that we love and we think oh well they wouldn't do that to me i love them and that's very natural but it is easy to blame the victim uh, especially for the addict who says oh well i want to win this person over i'll just blame uh, the daughter-in-law that's an easy one um so i guess my comment to you is that i would be careful whose opinions i valued because, you know, if your mother-in-law is not really able to differentiate the lies from the truth, then lean into other people. She's not safe for you. And I would just say, you know, she may never be safe for you. And that's, that's what she's doing as a mother. She's protecting her kid, you know. Yeah, well, and somebody put in the chat, mother enmeshment, and that may be, but you know, you, you, you know, it was kind of like, oh, it's a step in the right direction that he told his mother, but he minimized it, you know, because it's, you know, so, so again, and does mom need to know all the details and what would it change anything? I don't know. What do you need to do right in this moment? I'm glad you're here. What do you need for support for you? You know, you lost your mom. I mean, like what, what now you got this betrayal trauma going on. I mean, like there's a lot. So, so focus on safe people for you. Don't expect mother-in-law to sub, suddenly, you know, flip the switch and go, oh, now I understand. And, you know, my son has really harmed you. Probably not going to happen, but you know, there are safe people. We have a, we have multiple betrayed partner groups on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. Safe people for you to come, you know, share your story and get support for from. Okay, with, with. yes, I was like, that's not the right word. Thank you. So, okay, so my essay husband, sober two years, recovery six months, has exhibited what I see as infatuation towards me. He wants to hug and kiss me constantly, and it confuses me as to what is happening. Is this some kind of remorse? Is this normal? I want to feel like it's a new normal, but it's also my danger brain won't go offline. Well, I guess what strikes me about this is there's a lot of curiosity, intellectual curiosity about what's going on here, but I don't hear a lot of 
I want to do this. I don't want to do this. This is how I feel about it. Do you want to be close to him? Do you want to hug him? Like you say, you're confused. Maybe he's just feeling warmly towards you. Maybe it has nothing to do with recovery. I know that partners, um, be, for your own safety, will read into lots of things and look for meaning. But this guy's been in recovery for two years. He's got six months after a slip. Um, maybe he's falling. Maybe he's put down all the craziness is really getting in touch with how important his spouse is to him. Uh, I mean, wouldn't that be lovely? You know, it's funny, Tammy, because under other circumstances, if you reverse this whole story, it's like, think of a woman saying, you know, my husband's just been infatuated with me and he wants to hug and kiss me all the time. And, and, it, and it's like, we want to have sex. And um, that sounds wonderful, <laughs> but you, you know, for most people, but yeah. you also can't help yeah. but think this danger brain is, is it's there for a reason. The question is, does it have to do with things that happened in the past or does it, is it being triggered by something that's still going on right now? And I think hopefully that's what this person's recovery and support groups and therapy is all about. I might, if it were me, I'll say one more thing. I might go to a, do a little couples therapy and sit down and talk about intimacy and sexuality and where you are and where, because it feels like there's a little guessing here. And, you know, a lot of couples that I know, Tammy and I work with, they have all these problems with sex and part of it is they never talk about it, you know, and you could sit down and have a conversation about you've been acting this way. and I'm not sure what it means. And it worries me. And he can say, well, it's because of this. And you know what? That will bring you closer than the sex. <laughs> that conversation, that intimate conversation will bring you closer than any kind of sex. So I would start there, uh, Tammy. Yeah, and I kind of was thinking, like it's this is we're looking at this in a vacuum because it's like you know he's sober um two years recovery six months and now he's you know now he's acting infatuated with you what else is he doing is he showing up and being truthful having honest conversations you know what like dr rob wrote out of the doghouse you know what is he doing that is showing you that he is a trustworthy person because i have a feeling if you're seeing trustworthiness in other areas you'll start to feel it in in his actions towards you the hugging and kissing and all of that if it feels like that is completely out of context because everything else is kind of not working that you know then trust your gut on you know on that aspect as well so i i think i, I love the idea of uh, the couples therapy we also have the couples healing uh, from betrayal workshop starting again in october and it's communication grieving losses together healthy sexuality i mean it's a bunch of good topics you, you'll find that on seekingintegrity.com but that's a six-week course with uh, Dr. Susie LeBrock, who's a clinical sexologist as well as a sex addiction therapist, she gets prodependence. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff with Susie that can help you as a couple, um, you know, hopefully navigate some of these uncharted waters. waters. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Next question. I'm the SA. My spouse and I will experience formal disclosure okay. in a couple of weeks, assuming I pass a polygraph and the disclosure goes smoothly, what should I be aware of in the weeks immediately afterwards? What other, um, what have other essays said helped during this time? Um, well, I would be thinking about now, meaning, because you said in a couple of weeks, and I'm thinking, I can't tell you how it's going to go. It might be a, a relief by your spouse. It might be rage from your spouse. She may have your car keys ready to throw at you. I don't really know. But what you should be prepared for and preparing for now is who's going to support me in this process after this is over? 
you know, who's it going to, you know, I've done a lot of disclosure prep running group therapy for sex addicts. And it takes a lot of support to get that letter not looking like an apology or I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be a sex addict or, you know, so I think working with other people in recovery on your letter or on whatever that's going to be and not just a therapist is really helpful. And then going back to those people as this goes forward, you know, this, you don't have to give the details of your personal life in terms of your wife's experience for you to heavily lean on other guys who've been through disclosure. And, you know, you, you said, what have other sex addicts helped during this time? I hope you're going to lots of meetings and raising your hand and saying, could I get a couple of, you know, text notes or whatever, text email, whatever it is so that I can touch in and have a little group with some of you done disclosure. I mean, I would say half the people that we work with in treatment have been through disclosure. Um, we're going to do a disclosure group at some point. I know that just discussing it and all that. But in any case, um, I really am most concerned with your getting the grounding you need before you and after you do it. And the other reason is that you can't depend on your spouse to lean on if you get out of there and they don't want to talk to you for two weeks. And that's going to be hard considering all that you're going to be feeling after doing disclosure, like guilty and whatever, shameful. So make sure you have the resources to lean on should your partner say, I'm not going to be around for you on various levels for a while. So may I share the aspect of polygraph that we heard last week at the meeting we were in? You can share anything you want, Tim. Okay. So I've not been a big fan of polygraphs. Unfortunately, I've heard too many that have gone wrong in both directions where somebody, I mean, like we've had in black, I mean, there's been paid off the polygrapher. 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 We've had, I mean, they've just been done poorly. And somebody who was really telling the truth, you know, was uh, accused of not. And somebody who wasn't telling the truth, you know, passed. I mean, so there's a lot of stuff. So I, um, I pulled this up. I saved it. It was Eric Holden from Behavioral Measures said that polygraph exams for sex addiction are changing. The, the association has declared that questions such as, have you admitted, omitted anything, are no longer considered ethical and will not be included in polygraph going forward. So, so there is so there's no research. There's there's no research on outcomes of if you do a polygraph and it's going to help your relationship. I mean, there's none of that type of thing. So, because it's been commonplace, doesn't mean it's good practice. So, so I would be really clear with your um, your hopefully very qualified therapist about what the expectation is to set you up for a good disclosure it's you know um if the goal is to create a foundation to move forward making sure that both of you have the right support you have the right information you know and then it's well done will set you up you know for the best um opportunity to move forward in a positive way so next question what is a couple supposed to do when there was no betrayal but the partner insists that there was Sounds like an impasse uh, around trust. Um, so I was trying to think of a metaphor, uh, but Tammy, if you got something, please go ahead. I'm trying to get through that. It's simple, but tough. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it, 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 at the end of the day, someone doesn't believe no matter what you say or do. And I don't know how you prove to somebody that you are trustworthy if you didn't. But I'm also like the, the little bit of me goes... 
you know, but was there some, you know, you did a great um, conversation before on micro cheating, you know, where it's like, it's not really cheating because it's micro cheating. So it's not really a betrayal, but it really is, you know, so, so, you know, one of the things I guess I was thinking of is, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and, you know, I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to convince you. And it's, you know, I don't, what was, what is going to help you move forward in a different way because otherwise you're doing this dance on the other side of the you know cement block wall and you're not you're not going to get there so I, I I really I really wanted to build on what you said Tammy because I was thinking well what how one person might define betrayal may not be how another person defines betrayal um, there was this president we had called Bill Clinton and he had a pretty clear picture of what he thought sex was but other people disagreed so you know um I've seen people chatting up old boyfriends and girlfriends on Facebook and their partner has said, I feel that I was completely betrayed. I've seen research about partners who felt betrayed because someone was looking regularly at porn and they didn't know about it. Um, whereas I've also seen other people say porn, that isn't cheating. So I really think you got to define your terms and who feels what was what. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 and, and there, there's, you know, just underneath that, this is a huge trust issue. Um, not just whether there is, was or betrayal or not, but will I believe you or not in, in a bigger way? And I don't know. Uh, usually when people cheat, they lie about it. So I'm not sure I can help you with this one. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is really challenging. But at the end of the day, figuring out what is the perceived betrayal and how does the person who feels betrayed feel that they can move forward? What are they looking for? Maybe that's a place to start. So, hello, Dr. Rob. How do you go about finding a sponsor and what things do you need to look for in one? Also, should you provide feedback and check-ins with your fellow meetings peer or just listen? Well, um, those are two different questions. There's a lot of questions, but let me start with the basics. Um, and uh, Tammy, I'd love your feedback because you have different answers to the same questions. Um, to me, the way I would find a sponsor is by choosing a couple of 12-step meetings that I'm consistently going through to. And I notice some other people pretty consistently go to that same meeting. And that's not just because I want to scan anyone in the room. It's also I want to be hanging out with somebody who goes to the same thing I do at the same time. And then I'm listening for people who have things that I want is the way we say it. In other words, are they role models? If I was just doing disclosure and I saw somebody, we just had a client seeking integrity, this is true, who sent us a picture of his baby that he had gone from completely undisclosed to he and his spouse all, all the way having a child. And they were sitting there holding a child. And I thought, you know, um, I don't know what I thought. I don't know why I brought that up. Um, uh, well, that has because, what you want. Oh, I know, and, because yeah, that was yeah. a role model. for yeah. He was a role model for guys who were sitting in treatment listening to this or in alumni group. And they're like, wait, I've been single for years and you got all the way to what you always wanted, which is a loving relationship and a child. So, um, you know, I think that there is a, a perspective that you get. But also 12-step um, is a formal process, almost like journaling or, um, I don't know, or going through a class, taking the 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 spiritual pieces out of it and it, it, you really want someone who's like a tutor who can guide you through the class and through the exercises so that you don't miss anything and the best way to do that is to raise your hand in one of these meetings and say i'm looking for someone to sponsor me would anyone chat with me take my text whatever 
and talk to those people and see where their lives are at. They don't have to be you. They don't have to be perfect. You do have to like them, though. That has to be important. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and yeah, I think respect respect their journey. Like when you're when they're sharing and they're talking about where they've been and you know where they're headed. You know, I mean, that was I needed to believe that that person could help me get from where I was and move forward in a different way. I love that you shared about the twelve step. It isn't just about uh, you know showing up at the meetings. It absolutely is about doing the steps and having someone guide you. And a sponsorship isn't like a lifelong commitment. You find someone that's going to help you now. And then, you know, in a period of time, you may go, that was great. I need to, but now I'm on this, or I found someone that, you know, can help me with the next phase of where I'm going. All good. Some people have the same sponsor for decades. Great. You know, whatever works, but it doesn't have to be forever, but it, you know, so, so it, so I, I, I'm saying that because I want to take the pressure off. It isn't like you're going, oh my God, I have to find somebody that I'm going to be with forever. It's like, who can help you now? Who can help you now? As far as providing check-ins, I think, you know, every sponsor does it a little differently. Some people are like, you need to check in with me every day. Some are like, just check in with me as you're like, what do you need on this journey? And I, early on, more is better. So, you know, um, for, for me, I went to at least a meeting a day. I was checking in with people. I was hanging out with the people that were also in recovery. I needed to do life in a different way and so that was I changed my friends I changed I changed everything and um uh, so the the more I was willing to do the quicker it changed for me and that was a huge relief and uh, gave me hope so hopefully that's helpful for you next question when is enough enough d-day was three years ago and he hasn't been working the 12 steps or any programs effectively. I'm at my wits end. If he wanted this relationship, he would do anything to make it work. I think I answered my own question. I was thinking the same thing. Well, then we should move on. And I'm not I, being silly. It's like, this is a no. question about how long can I live with pain? How long do I want to live with pain? How long am I going to hope the pain goes away, but it never has? Or maybe I should have a different relationship with the pain and move away from it. Um, I think that does answer its own question. Yeah. And, and Every betrayed partner that I've talked to, it was like at some point they just realized enough is enough. And, you know, and today I'm done. Yesterday I was still in, but today I'm done. And I really, tr I trust, I think your head knows before your guts are willing to, your guts and your heart are willing to make that leap. But, you know, I do think you've got your answer. So, and but I do, I want to add this, I, I do want to bit it. This is where I do want to do a plug for treatment, because if this someone is someone who's this, this is someone who's about to lose a marriage or a relationship that's important to them and their excuses, they're just not trying hard enough or they're not going to meetings. I mean, this is where you can take someone if you are willing and say, if you want to stay with me. You're going to have to change your attitude about what you're doing, and you're going to have to go to some kick-at-butt place where they're going to get you working and get you. And when you come home, I expect to see this and this and this. Um, you're, in other words, if you are thinking about moving away from this person in some meaningful way, don't miss this opportunity because that's what motivates us. We are terrified of abandonment. And, uh, you know, that's why, why we juggle people in situations. We always want some attention and validation. And if you're really thinking about moving forward, I would use it as a tool to say, you know, I'm not sure if I'm staying or not, but I need you to get started in this place at this time. And then I need to see some change. See what happens. Uh, you may have a lot more power than you think you do 
what I will say doesn't empower you is saying is giving him the power, which is if he wanted the relationship, he would make you anything to no, he wants to he wants his cake and eats it too. He wants you to just be quiet about all this and he wants to go do what he was always going to do and put them together. And it is your standing up and saying no more that I'm at my wit's end um, and I'm going to decide whether I want this relationship or not. I think that will bring you forward a lot faster. Um, it's my two cents. Yeah, no, I agree. So, Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.